Awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Um, yeah, in case you, you didn't know, I guess I'll keep bragging on our folks at church. But, you know, Sarah's and her husband, Adam, have traveled the world uh, playing music while in the United States Navy. And um, Mike and, you know, Steve, we have a lot of professional musicians in our church. And unfortunately, I asked them to play a very, you know, one of the hardest songs. And they did such a good job. And, yeah, I could not pronounce even a quarter of those names. Thank you, guys. That was, that was really good. Uh, so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1 on your apps or on your laps, uh, that is where we will be today. And as Sarah said, we don't have to sing that twice. So their presentation for you is going to count as our scripture reading for this morning. We are going to turn to it again and read a section here and a section there. Uh, but they did an excellent job. Uh, we want to give credit where credit's due. So if you want to look up where that song came from, a uh, Christian artist named Andrew Peterson wrote that song, and he, too, does a great job with it. So I, I don't know about you, uh, but if uh, you saw the church email or somehow knew that this was the sermon text for today, if I were you, I would have come uh, prepared to be very bored. <laughs> no, but... Uh, you know, it's, it's a genealogy, this kind of scripture, these parts of scripture sometimes, and it's our fault, really, that we just skip over them and assume that they don't have much to say or nothing really important to say, and that's definitely not the case. So as I hope you'll find out, uh, this is actually a very important uh, and a very interesting part of the Bible, part of God's word to us. If we believe all of the Bible is inspired, then God preserved this for us to tell us something about who he is and who we are. So Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy, and, and genealogies are actually really important, and they serve some functions in the Bible. So one is they can serve as a fast-forwarding mechanism. So that it happens especially in Genesis, a book that covers hundreds, thousands, maybe years, and they can be used to fast forward to a point in the future. Uh, but they can also serve as a summary mechanism, a way of uh, looking at history from uh, God's eye perspective and just kind of getting a refresher on where have we been in God's history so far. And the fact is that Matthew, the author of this gospel, uh, he wrote his book like everybody else did at the time. He wrote it by hand. And so this had to have been a seriously important thing that he wanted to communicate or else he would not have started his great project with such a tedious, or we assume to be tedious, process. So if we take the time to look, there are important truths about God, about Jesus, and about who we are in this passage. The other night uh, at Life Group, uh, we had a really great time. We just had conversation and uh, somehow we got on the topic of discussing how dysfunctional our families are, <laughs> uh, which, you know, if you come from a dysfunctional family like just about everybody, uh, th there's something really cathartic, you know, about being able to talk about that with other people. And so we laughed about our quirks and qualities, and, um, and I think that's part of what Matthew wants to draw out for us by recounting this genealogy. When we look at this passage 
And if you know the stories of a few of these people like Abraham, like David, um, you know that Jesus does not come from a big, happy family. You know, the title of our sermon today is A Big, Happy Family. And that's in parentheses for a reason. And, and Matthew wants uh, to remind us of God's promises to these people, but also some of the dysfunctionality and, and really the sin that was part of their lives. Uh, Jesus' family history included lying, it included injustice, included adultery, and, and even murder. But it also included a history of, of faith and courage and redemption. So like our families, there's a, a mix of good and bad. God has been at work despite human sin to accomplish his purpose to bring the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. So Matthew's genealogy makes these important claims about who Jesus is and who we are. With that, let's go ahead and pray and begin. Almighty God, you are the, the creator of the universe, of heaven and earth. Thank you so much for music, Lord, for uh, fun and creative ways to memorize scripture, uh, to talk about what you've said to us. Lord, I pray that you uh, write your word on the tablet of our hearts, that we may remember it and be changed because of it. It's in your name. Amen. So be beginning with the genealogy of the Messiah, Matthew takes us on a bullet train tour of the Old Testament. And we're reminded of people like Abraham, David, Ruth, and others who imparted a, a physical but also a spiritual heritage to their descendants. And Matthew's genealogy is a, a physical and a spiritual family tree, as we're going to see, showing that Jesus inherits uh, the, the promises of God and that he will bring them to fulfillment. So we'll put this up on the screen if you want to write it down. Uh, this is the point of today's message. Uh, Matthew's emphasis on Jesus' spiritual family tree encourages us to consider our own and how we will impact the next generation of believers, how we will leave a spiritual uh, inheritance for the people who come after us. So if we look back at the text, Matthew 1 1 to 2, this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. I wonder how far back in your family tree can you go? Especially right now, off the top of your head, I thought about this earlier this week. I really can't go far. You know, without my help or talking to my dad, I, I, I really I don't know a whole lot about my family history. I'm curious about for you. Uh, maybe if you have a famous uh, ancestor, it, it might be a little bit easier. But for ancient Middle Eastern people, knowing your family history was very important. And it was usually recorded on a scroll and kept in the temple or usually you just memorized it as a family. It was part of your oral tradition to know who your ancestors were. And Matthew states that Jesus, like all Jewish people, was a descendant of Abraham. But uh, more specifically, Jesus was also a descendant of King David. And we have to remember that this genealogy is 
trying to show us the, the spiritual implications of that. And so by telling us from the outset, you know, Matthew, I don't know, he kind of does us a favor. He says, you know, okay, this is the genealogy. You need to know Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Maybe he assumed some people wouldn't even go to read the rest of it. So that's kind of the big picture, you know, that we need to get out of, out of that. So from the very beginning of the Bible, over a thousand years before Jesus, you know, when we talk about Abraham, we're talking about ancient history, history to Jesus as well. And, and God made this problem, prom, excuse me, promise to Abram and his wife Sarai. And something God teaches about himself in the Bible is that he takes promises seriously. And so what did God promise Abram? He promised him uh, land and children, all the things that we talked about, or that Pastor Adam talked about to the children. And so if we summarize that, you can write this down if you wish. God promised to Abram that all nations would be blessed through him. All nations would be blessed through him. And that was a pretty big promise because Abram and his wife Sarah, they had a you know, a, a serious problem that in their old age, they didn't have children. Uh, and they were well beyond the, the age of normally being able to bear children. Uh, as I've, you know, come to understand, you know, being married to a wonderful wife who works in uh, gynecology and, and labor and delivery related areas, conception is not easy and it's not simple and it's, it's not guaranteed to everyone unfortunately. And that was part of Abram and, and Sarai's uh, history, too. They had no children. And they weren't particularly powerful. They were probably wealthy by the standards of their age. But all these promises, I mean, God was promising Abraham a big, happy family. And, and God was promising what seemed to be impossible. So let's return to the idea of a spiritual genealogy. What kind of spiritual heritage is recorded in Abram and Sarai? Well, if you go back and read their story, you'll find out that Sarai, I mean, she literally laughed when Abraham told, you know, God just made us an incredible promise. We're going to have children and our descendants are going to be a great nation. And she did probably a fairly normal thing. She laughed. She laughed at this promise. Uh, and that was... You know, talking to God, that's a little inappropriate. So <laughs> she, you know, her name was changed to Sarah, which means one who laughs. Uh, and then, you know, after, it actually took 40 years until they would conceive. So in the meantime, uh, Sarah had a, a, an idea. She said, I want you, Abraham, this isn't working out. Just go sleep with one of my servants and I'll take her child. It's like a horrible idea, right? I mean, like, well, who would do that, you know? But that's, you know, the spiritual inheritance of, of, of Jesus and us. And unfortunately, that just was a train wreck. Um, and the story goes on to talk about Hagar, the woman who was involved in this. And she was thrown out of the family and with her son. And she actually left her child to die of exposure uh, under a bush because she assumed that they would die of starvation. And what actually happens is God speaks to Hagar and, and rescues her and her son. 
Uh, but, and, and that shows that Abraham's family is anything but happy at this point. But despite their sin, God was still at work. And the Lord did enable Sarah to conceive despite everything they had done. The problem was by the time of, of Jesus, the people were still waiting for God to fulfill his promise to bless all the nations through Abraham's family. And so by calling Jesus the son of Abraham, Matthew is claiming that Jesus is the Lord's instrument to bless the world. If you look at a map, and you've probably seen a lot of it in the news, Israel is a dot on the globe. It is a small, small place with a small, small people, including at the time of Jesus. And so Matthew is saying that Jesus is the one who's going to manage to make this happen. And that's exactly what we see at the end of Matthew's gospel. We'll talk about that later. But David is the other person that Matthew names right off the bat. And there's a, a little bit more about David in this uh, genealogy. So we can go down and take a look at it. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 to 6. The word of the Lord says, Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, the mother, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. And King David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. If you do want to go read a big, happy family story in the Bible, they do exist. They are few and far between. Uh, but you can go read Ruth's book in the Old Testament. Uh, Ruth is one of, the only, one of two women who have a book of the Bible named after her. And her story is an incredible one about uh, Ruth and, and uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi. Um, basically, Ruth's, her, her first husband dies. And her mother-in-law decides to move back to Bethlehem. And uh, that's what they do. And Ruth says, I'm going to go with you. You know, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm dedicated to you and, and the God that you believe in and the God that you serve. And the Lord there leads uh, Ruth to a righteous man named Boaz. And they do, you know, it's an incredible story because by all accounts, they're actually good people and, and get married and have children. And, um, and the author of Ruth's story tells us that their child is King David. And so Matthew's genealogy shows that it's not, it's not all bad. Uh, like our stories, the, the stories of the Bible are filled with good and bad. And that God was at work and there were righteous people. And it's probably, you know, David is known as being like the best king of Israel, right? It just went downhill after him. And he probably owed his dedication to, to God from his grandparents, from Ruth and Boaz. But by the time of Jesus, again, there's still a problem that they're ruled by Rome the Herod, who is the king at the time, he's not even Jewish. So if God, like Pastor Adam said, made a promise to David, your descendant is going to rule God's people forever. Where is that? When is God going to make good on his promises? Well, this was the other promise, and um, it's just on our slides, that God promised David your kingdom will endure forever. And so when Matthew says that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David, he's making a point that the ancestry of Jesus proves that he is the Messiah. He is the one who fulfilled God's promises to David and Abraham. Jesus' family history, like ours, like many of ours, was 
complicated. It's complicated at best. And this is the story of the Bible. Uh, one time I was talking to somebody about church, and I knew this person because they had told me that they came from a really rough background. And they were like, Blaze, you know, I, I'm nervous about going to church because I'm afraid I won't fit in. You know, and, and people get this picture in their mind sometimes that when they go to church, they're going to be around a bunch of really good, perfect, successful people. And uh, unfortunately, I threw all of you under the bus, and I said, that is not the case, <laughs> you know. You know, we're, we're normal people, you know, and, and um, if, if somebody is afraid to come in because they have a, a story, you know, we all, we all have a story and things that we struggle with. So, so that's not us, and uh, I'll be first to testify that my life has been transformed by Jesus. My life is better because of Jesus, because he's real, and he, he has changed my life. That doesn't mean it's perfect. Uh, the commentator, D.A. Carson, he points out that uh, later on, and we read this around Christmas, uh, the angel, when he speaks to Joseph and explains, hey, yeah, Mary's pregnant, it's kind of scary, uh, you know, it's actually the Holy Spirit, and the angel tells him what to name this child, and he says, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means uh, God saves, Yahweh saves. And I think that verse hits a little bit differently when we think, okay, God will save his people from their sins. And all, you know, we just got done reading Matthew's genealogy, all these sins that the God's people has committed. Jesus has come to change that, to do something about that, to save them from that. Like Pastor Adam said, to create a new shoot, a new tree and a new opportunity for them to live in obedience to him and for those of us who believe in jesus who hear about jesus and believe in him as our lord and savior the same can be true for you and he is there to save people from their sins not just even the ones that we commit certainly but maybe even from ones that other people have committed to us to to change our lives our lives are not determined by the terrible things that happened to us. The concept of a spiritual family tree is really found, found all over the Bible, uh, but especially in the New Testament. So in Galatians 3, 7, Paul says that those who believe in Jesus are children of Abraham by faith. Pastor Adam talked about that some. But even more recent than that, I, I bet that almost all of us in this room have a recent spiritual family tree the, the people who first taught us about Jesus and, and brought us to him. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. I want to look at one example in the New Testament in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 12, verse 25. And um, Luke tells the story of a young man named Mark, okay? And Mark was the student, the disciple of Paul and Barnabas. Uh, he followed them around and was probably doing Bible study with them and learning from them. And Paul and Barnabas were about to go on a mission trip. And so they decide, well, let's take along Mark. That's a really good opportunity for him to learn some things from us. Uh, and, you know, that maybe even help him lead the church one day. Who, who knows? But in Acts 13, 13, Luke tells us that Mark left Paul and Barnabas 
uh, and he went back home to Jerusalem. That was where Mark was from. It doesn't say why, um, but later we find out that whatever the reason was, it wasn't under good circumstances. So Acts 15, 37 to 40 says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and, and visit all the believers uh, in the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Seems simple enough. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him with them because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers in the grace of the Lord. So what does all that mean? Well, obviously, I don't know, Mark probably, he could have been homesick, he could have been any number of reasons, and he basically ditched them on this mission journey that they were on. And so even in the New Testament, the church had young men and women who were kind of squirrely, you know, maybe a, a little, you know, don't get, you know, there on time for things or, you know, whatever, late on their homework, I don't know. You guys are great students, don't get me wrong. But it, it reminds me of one of my friends when, from when I was in high school named Johnny, uh, and at different times, Johnny was not the kind of kid you wanted in your youth group, okay? He was super squirrely, and uh, gosh, I love this guy, you'll find out why, but he, he, and at different points, he was a really strong Christian, and today he's a really strong Christian, but Johnny is, had been getting in some pretty serious trouble, and so as we prepared to go on our mission trip for the summer, our youth pastor, also called Paul, told him, Johnny, you can't come. I'm sorry, you're, you're not a good influence on the children that we're going to be ministering to and telling them about Jesus. So you're not, you're not able to come. You're not allowed to come. That's it. So they leave for the mission trip. It was to uh, Breathitt County, Kentucky, uh, which is um, a deeply impoverished place, unfortunately. It's also a very beautiful place, deep, deep in Appalachia and far, far away from Indianapolis. Well, so uh, they get there. And um, I heard the story from them that uh, Johnny hitchhiked uh, from Indianapolis as far as Louisville because he wanted to go on this mission trip. <laughs> and, and so he gets to Louisville, and I don't know why he decides he can't go any further. Probably crazy dangerous to get through Appalachia hitchhiking. And um, he calls our friend Andrew, who is living in the area, and says, can you pick me up? And what's Andrew going to do? Of course I have to pick him up. So he drives up and brings Johnny, and they walk up to Paul, and there's Johnny, and you can only imagine how that went. <laughs> uh, I wasn't there. I'm sad I missed it. But um, anyway, so Johnny was in big trouble, and, and uh, he was allowed to stay and participate, not as a leader, but as a participant, and he stayed at the home of somebody who lived there. A anyway, you know, he... He made a huge, he was making huge mistakes, right? Um, and, and so had Mark. And, and what does this have to do with the genealogy we were just talking about? Well, I think it says something about this, that your fellow Christians are going to disappoint you. They're going to frustrate you and maybe even hurt your feelings. You know, Johnny was not doing the right thing. 
Uh, I know at different times in my time in youth group, I frustrated my youth pastor and he frustrated me and sometimes for good reason, sometimes for not, right? Uh, but your fellow Christians are going to disappoint you, fail you, hurt your feelings sometimes. And even Paul and Barnabas, so Luke says they had a sharp disagreement. Okay, what that really means is they had a fight, right? They had a fight about what to do about Mark. And the crazy thing is these guys, I mean, they performed miracles. Like God used them, like Paul raised a kid from the dead. And they have this fight. And God does not intervene. He doesn't tell them what to do. He doesn't tell them who's right. And God allows them. He's okay with them just kind of figuring it out. Probably because God also knows that the Mark's story isn't over. Um, but yeah, our, our spiritual family tree is not perfect. What does this teach us about being part of the family of God? Uh, that, that our spiritual family tree is complicated. And I'll show you a brief picture. I drew this up the other day of my spiritual family tree. Um, obviously, this isn't everyone, uh, you know, uh, the, but these are some of the major people, uh, including, you know, and, and certainly many of you are, are part of my spiritual family tree. People who, uh, according to this diagram, are, res are responsible for leading me to Jesus in the first place. Um, and discipling me from a young age are the people on this screen. Uh, but yeah, we argued with each other. They argued with each other. Um, but yeah, God loves us. He loves us, even though we're not perfect. God's perfect, uh, but we're not. He knows that. And somehow uh, he's still able to work through us. We know from later in Paul's letters that Mark uh, went on to become a great man of faith. And he was reconciled with Paul. So near the end of Paul's life, he writes a letter to Timothy, another young man who uh, was a disciple of Paul. And this is what he says. He says, only Luke is with me, the writer of Acts. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. That must have been very affirming for Mark to hear, right? That, that he was helpful. He, he wasn't a failure. And Paul's words to Timothy affirm the concept of this spiritual family. So in his other letter to Timothy, Paul says this. He calls Timothy his true son in the faith. The word true here means legitimate. It even means biological. And that was not the case. Timothy was a Gentile, and, and Paul was a devout Jew. And, but he's saying, in Jesus, you are my son. You are part of my family. All that said, what, what is Matthew 1, uh, 1 to 17 trying to teach us? First, you know, really mostly about that Jesus is the Messiah because he's the son of uh, Abraham. And as the son of Abraham, we have a mission to fulfill. God is still working on fulfilling his promise to Abraham to bless the nations with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the, the mission that we receive from Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel. Um, but second, that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of David. He is the ruler of God's people. So when we think about Jesus as our Savior, do we also think him, about him as our Lord? You know, do we take him at his word and, and live in obedience to what he says about what's right and good in our lives? 
And, and third, Matthew's emphasis, just going back to right where we started, Matthew's emphasis on Jesus' spiritual family tree encourages us to consider uh, our own and how we will impact the next generation. You know, for our students, one day you might be leading a Bible study. You know, I would try to remind them of that. You know, how are you going to impact and lead others to Jesus? So I encourage you to meditate that on that this week. Uh, let's go ahead and pray and continue our time of worship.